This is the Catholic Wire. Okay, the topic to be discussed today is uh, dating. And I know that, you know, for some of you, you know, some of you might have all your children at home. Some of you might not be worried about that because your children are too young. Or some of you might not have that into consideration. But some of the stuff that we're going to discuss, I think, will be useful. Um, why am I discussing dating? The first, the first thing that comes up is I don't want anyone to think that this is, you know, aimed at one particular person or, or something like that. Um, there's been a lot of questions from different people lately for me, like uh, many different people that have had these questions, not only from here from the church, but also from outside. And what to me is also more concerning is how much ignorance there is in the aspect of dating. Um, I don't know about you guys, when I was young, uh, you know, 19, 20 years old and I was dating, uh, no one told me anything. Like, I mean, I never had a conversation with my dad where he said, this is what's allowed, this is not what's not allowed, nothing. I think for men, that's kind of taken for granted. You know, you just go out and date and, and you know, they expect that you'll survive. But there, is, there are some very good moral principles that we should have and, and the kind of the culture that we should have about it. That's the other part that makes this very difficult is the change of culture. A lot of the things that I'm gonna tell you today, uh, you might disagree. There might even be priests that disagree or, or you know, people out there that have different opinions. And that's because there has been a great swift change of culture. You know, things have, are very different now than where they were 30, 40 years ago. I mean, even from ourselves, most of, most of us here are past 30. Uh, I think maybe there might be a 20 year old here, I'm not sure, I'm just kidding. But um, <clears throat> you know that when you guys were young and you see how you know, people dated when you were young and you see how people date now, it's just a whole different world. So because of that, you know, a lot of the stuff that I tell you today, you might see it and, and be like, that's impossible. There's no way we can do that. Uh, but my point is to tell you what's right. You know, what's right, what, what is the right way to do it? And whether if the world likes it or not, that's not my job. My job is just to say what's the proper thing. Now, I got to tell you a story going to that change of culture. Uh, that my mother told me, and this, I, most of this stuff I told it to the mothers already, so you might be able to tell them, oh, I heard the same things. When my grandmother was dating, she was, this is in the 1920s, this is how they would date. My grandmother would be inside her house, and there was a window with metal bars about this, this far apart, and the boyfriend was on the outside standing on the street. That was the dating procedure for her. She didn't like this boyfriend. You might have experienced this yourselves at some point. She didn't like this boyfriend, but she didn't know how to cut with him, how to break up. So she was waiting for a moment and she couldn't find it. One day she was holding one of the bars and the boyfriend put his hand on hers. And she used that. That was like, she said, what kind of woman do you think I am? You know, I can't believe you this and that. Get out of my house. <laughs> 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 We know, we know women can be like that sometimes. Um, but it's, it's crazy when I heard this story, you think like, wow, things have changed quite a lot. So let's go over that. Now, there is one thing that 
one other thing that, that might be uh, uh, interesting to mention. I would like to give you guys like a book. You know, I wish there was like a book that I could pull out here that says how to date for a Catholic. There are books like that, but the thing is, I don't really find anything that's, that's good. And the reason is because they're really either very obsolete or they are not specific. And so, for example, these specific ones are like, you know, keep purity, keep chastity, this and that. It's like, well, I know that. Uh, I need rules. I need, you know, specifics. What am I supposed to do or not? You can't find that. Even in this book, it's not very specific about that. Um, the, the other ones that are obsolete are like from the 1600s, 1700s. And so I was talking to a person that, was date, that is dating. And I was telling them, St. Alfonso's Liguori says that when people date, they should date for six months, meet three times, and decide whether they want to get married or not. Which is... You know, this person that I was talking to is like, that's, this is 2023. You know, it's impossible now. So how do you know? How can I know and how can I tell you? What I'm going to give you, with, that's what I'm going to write in here. We're going to write principles. I'm going to give you moral, common sense principles. And from those principles, we're going to go on. And if you, make, you see that that makes sense, then you can build the castle yourself, so to speak. But these principles are going to be what we're going to base our, ourselves on. Now... Before we begin, another question. Someone might say, well, this is an argument that could come up. Uh, Father, uh, what do you know about dating? <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, priests, for them, it's very easy to say these things, you know, about dating and the rules and all that stuff, because they don't care about women. You know, they, uh, priests are like aliens that come from another planet. Um, and, you know, they never dated, so they don't know what it's like, and you know that you need this or that. And for that objection, I would say two things. One is that I was a chaperone for three of my siblings. So I actually witnessed them dating and that taught me a lot. But also I dated, you know, I, and this is something that I'll blur from the video. But before I was a priest, I was thinking of getting married. I, I was dating someone like one week before I joined the monastery. So I dated when I was 23. I went to the monastery when I was 23. So you can imagine by that age, your relationships are serious. You know, I was, I was actually thinking of marrying people. I'll save you stories because otherwise this is going to go too long. Okay, let's go into the principles, the principles that I was going to mention. The first principle that we're going to use is this. Equal application of law. I'll explain them in a bit. The second one is going to be the duty to remove occasion of sin. I'm not sure if I spelled that right. And the third one, third one was decisions are made based on morality, not outcome. This sounds very big, but it all makes sense. And we'll apply them and you'll see. Uh, the first one is equal application of law. What do I mean by this? By this I mean that the law is made to apply for the common good. And that means that even if someone doesn't need it, 
I still apply the law, right? For example, no trespassing is a law. Maybe someone was going to trespass the house of the sisters to help, you know, one of the sisters that fell or no lady that fell. But the thing is, I have to apply the law. And if that person gets prosecuted, they have to go to jail. Why? Because otherwise, when someone wants to trespass to go and commit a crime or murder or uh, steal, well, I can't prosecute them. So the law, I have to apply it to everyone, even if they don't need it. You'll see when that comes up. The second one is the, the one that I think is the, the one that we need more, more explication most of the times. The duty to remove an occasion of sin. <clears throat> you know what an occasion of sin is? It's something, it's a situation that causes me to sin. Uh, give you an example, a person that is, you know, that struggles with alcohol. Well, an occasion of sin for this person would be to have a bottle of whiskey at his house. Or a person that struggles with, uh, say that you have a, a friendship that is, hey, good morning. A person that has, for example, um, a relationship, a friend that, you know, impure, thing ha impure things happen with this friend. That friend is an occasion of sin. Now, occasions of sin can be necessary or unnecessary. This, I can never have. These ones, when I have them, I have to make them remote. As opposed to proximate. Let me explain that. What's a necessary occasion of sin? Let's say that I struggle with alcohol. I'm an alcoholic. But I work in a store where they sell alcohol and I cannot get another job. Well, that alcohol that I always see, it's an occasion of sin for me. Every time it causes me to be tempted. But it's necessary. I can get rid of it. Does that make sense? Uh, when would it be unnecessary? If I'm not working in an alcohol store, I walk by a, a liquor store, and I say, I'm going to walk in there, not going to buy anything, but I'm going to walk in there just to see what's there and, you know, kind of like think of all times. Well, that's an unnecessary occasion of sin. This is always a mortal sin if the sin is grievous. That's, you can find it right here. If, if uh, this person does that, by the fact that he's entering in the store, even if he doesn't drink, that's already a sin. Now, this applies, obviously, to cases of purity as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Let's say that there is a... I'll put an example with the priest to, to, you know, to make it not... Uh, to make it clear. Let's say, for example, that there is a lady that lives by herself, and she calls the priest and she says that she's dying. And the priest goes over there, and he couldn't find anyone to accompany him. So it's like, it's a very serious occasion of sin because this lady lives by herself. What if she's trying to trick him or something? Well, it's a necessary occasion though, because the priest has to go. He cannot just, you know, leave her there if she's dying. I'm putting an extreme scenario, right? Usually you don't have that situation. Maybe the priest can go and leave the door open or something. But if she's not dying, there's no emergency, no reason for the priest to go. And she says, hey, pa, Father, why don't you come to my house? That's unnecessary. Even if nothing happens, I'm committing a sin just by going. Does that make sense? Okay, that this is going to come a lot more handy later on. And finally, decisions are made based, based on morality, not on outcome. What I, what I mean by that is that when I make a decision... I cannot think, my argument should never be, 
But if I make this decision, this is going to happen. You know, if I do, that's going to happen. That's never an argument. That's not a factor. The factor is what's right and what's wrong. If it's right, I have to do it. If it's wrong, I cannot do it, regardless of the outcome, regardless of how bad it might be. Does that make sense? Kind of. Oh, okay. That's the next point, actually. What is the purpose of dating? Who could, if I ask you guys, uh, who would tell me what is the purpose of dating? And it's a trick question. Okay. Find your vocation? That was, you get, you're the only person that got it right. <laughs> All right. He cheated. He probably looked at the other video. <laughs> no, just kidding. <clears throat> so most people would say to find a spouse, right? Most people would say, uh, just one second. Most people would say, well, the purpose of dating is so I can find a spouse. And I tell, you know, that's a right answer, yes. But I would say that's not the full answer. Why? Because you're already putting yourself in a position that maybe God didn't put you in. And so <clears throat> if you say, my purpose is to find a spouse, then it's like, I'm getting married no matter what, you know. Whichever girl says yes, I'm going for that one. Um, that's not the purpose of dating. You said it right. The purpose of dating is to, to discover if marriage is my vocation, to find my vocation. Why is that different? If you pay attention, this changes the whole concept of dating. Because now the point is not to find which girl is, you know, the cutest or, or you know, which one is going to say yes, um, in spite of my bad smells or whatever. It, the purpose is to save my soul. To save my soul. That's why I'm getting married. That's why I'm trying to, to date. And this changes everything in your perspective if you think about it. Because then... The answer when you have, you know, the cute girl or the girl that is very decent and doesn't wear any makeup, but she's not as pretty, but she's, you know, much easier to, to save my soul with, then that's the one that I should go for. Or same things with the guys. You have this guy, you know, a big guy with the bike and he's super rebel and, you know, he always uh, wins in the football team or whatever. No offense if any of you guys was like that. And it's like, there's the other guy that is maybe kind of geeky or whatever, but he's very good Catholic, etc. If I have this in mind to save my soul, then that's my interest. For you guys, when you, when you guys have children, and this is why we have this class, so that when you have children that are dating, you can lead them in this direction. The purpose is to save your soul. The purpose is to, to, to find your vocation. And this, I, I'll make a parenthesis here, a lot of teenager girls, you guys, many of you are blessed and don't have that problem yet. So, where was I? Um, a lot of teenager girls, and boys too, do this. You know, they say, well, you know, I want to feel complete. I want to be complete. I want to find the other person that completes me and all that stuff. And I think this, this is a very important point to make. Um, in order to do this, you have to be a person that is uh, stable and complete yourself. You're not, you're not in marriage to find someone that completes you. You're in marriage because you're stable already, you're self-sufficient, you're mature, and you're able to find someone else that goes in the same path that you are. Now, just to go very quickly through this, because this is the case, it would be good, for example, when a person starts thinking about dating, and you know, when you have uh, children that are dating, before they start dating, they should do the exact same thing that they do 
when you have any vocation, what do you do if you feel called to the priesthood? You go and do a spiritual retreat, you take some time to pray to God, asking to God if that's your vocation, then you pursue it. I think it would be a very good idea, you know, when you have a child that is in the age of dating, if they start showing that interest to say, you should do something spiritual, you should do a little bit of prayer, do a spiritual retreat about that, ask God if that's your vocation. Okay, so that would be the purpose. I didn't see what time did we start, but hopefully this doesn't go too long. Next, we start going into time. When is the proper time to date or what is the proper time of dating? Should I put you guys uh, in the spot and ask you questions to see what you answer? <laughs> how, how long do you think one should date? How long? Mm -hmm. You're not on camera, so it's good. I think an engagement's supposed to be no more than six months. After dating? Okay, that would be Sinefonso Tigori. Okay, I'll tell you the, the first thing, age. Age, I would say we shouldn't date until after high school. That's like the bare minimum, I would say. Okay. About, yeah. Why do I say that? Because, well, that's when you're supposed to be able to get a job. You know, that's when you're uh, mature. Now, I repeat, this is the bare minimum in my, my estimation. Because if you have a high schooler that just came out of high school, I don't know about you guys, I can think of myself, no offense to the young people here. Um, there's like one. <laughs> but I can think of myself, you know, when I was 18, 19 years old, I could not have been stupider. So, you know, to me, I would think that there needs to be maturity. It's not so much age, it's, mm -hmm. it's rather the maturity. We'll go into that again. So that's, maturity is the main thing in age. Now, how long? Some priests will tell you two to three years is like the maximum. Six months, I would say, is the minimum. You know, here's how I would put it to you because this is interesting to, to, to realize. It depends on familiarity. So with age, the factor is maturity. When it comes to the time, I would say that the factor is familiarity. How familiar are they? Why do I say this? Because, for example, here, let's say that people live in Denver, they get to date once a week. I would understand two to three years, you know, if um, that's the time that he gets to know each, know each other. Maybe one of them is working and trying to save up. Maybe one of them is finishing college, whatever. I think two to three years is good. After three years, the problem is they're too familiar now. They are too intimate now. The danger of sin is now much greater. And that's when it has to stop. That is when, that's when you have to say, okay, time to make a choice, get married or, or be gone. But why do I say it depends on this? Because what if, for example, let's say that someone lives here in Denver and the other person lives in Connecticut and they only see each other through phone and they only have dated in person maybe twice a year, then it could go longer because they really haven't reached that point where they get to know each other. Does that make sense? What if these people live next house? You know, she lives over there and the guy lives over here. Then four or five months or six months might be enough, you know, because they see each other too constantly. And so that's, they already know everything that they need to know. They know their family. They see each other too much. That's a point where, okay, you have to stop it. Um, so this is where, you know, teenager girls and teenager boys are right now dreading this class. I was telling the mothers, they're probably feeling like they dark cloud upon their heads of all their lives being ruined. Um, any questions so far? Yeah. 
So, in regards to the appropriate age to date, you know, uh, maturity factors into it, but what about the ability to support the family? Mm -hmm. So, hypothetically, let's say somebody is mature, both parties are mature, the man and woman, but I guess this, this would be more applied to the man. The man is not able to support his family. Maybe he's in college. Maybe he doesn't have a job. Maybe he has all the other virtues and maturity levels, but that's missing. And if they got married, they'd have to move in with their family. Mm -hmm. and they couldn't support themselves. Yeah. Does that factor into it? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I would say uh, we have to understand what would be sinful and what not, right? So as a part, as a father, I would say, yes, this guy has to be able to support you. Otherwise, you know, and here's how that would factor in, because the, the thing would be, well, I love Johnny. You know, he's so cute and he's so good with me and he makes me feel loved and all these things. And, you know, he's got to finish college in four years and he owes the $140,000. But, you know, I love him with all my heart. We can live poor forever. And I would say, okay, um, you know, you can't stop your daughter maybe from dating him, but it's like, okay, well, you get, you get to see him like once a month. Maybe I'm being too exaggerated, but the point is, I would definitely delay it. You know, when do you get to see him more? When he's able to actually support you. Parenthesis, quick parenthesis, because I'm realistic. I'm giving you guys the ideals. I know that when it comes to actually dealing with your daughters or sons, you know, at that age, it's a whole different story. And, you know, yeah. I, society comes into the picture. Yeah, yeah. And I can talk a lot here, but society. you guys are the ones in the front line, so... I'm like the guy in D-Day that was sitting in England going like, we're going to go here, we're going to go there. And <laughs> you guys are the ones jumping out in the parachutes. But yeah, that's a good factor. And, and we'll discuss it too here. Now, what happens with your you know, 16, 15-year-old daughter right now that she's like, but that, or your boy that says, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I want to talk to this girl or talk to that boy or whatever. What do you do before? Can you do something before this? That's the question. How do you ease it up for them? Well, before what you do is meet in groups, have friends. And I would say many friends. Now, again, I'm giving the ideal, right? But this is not from me. This is from Pope Pius XII. He said, young people should not date until they're the proper age and they're ready. Before that, what they should do is meet in groups, in families, gatherings, uh, parties, whatever where there is boys and girls, they're watched, they're supervised, but they get to socialize. This is very important. And I, you would think it's not necessary to say, but it is, because if you guys have been in other traditional circles, you know that sometimes that's stopped. Not everywhere, but I, and you know, this might be the different, a different experience, experience from here from Denver. But I talked to a boy that was in the, the SSPX, and he told me that in his particular place, in his parish, uh, the boys were not allowed to talk to the girls until after high school. And he basically said that. He said, like, so here's two problems that happen. One is that everybody goes behind, you know, behind their parents' back, because you're not going to do that. So they go behind their, their parents' back, and worse things happen. And when you come out of high school, if you really did the rules and you really never talked to a girl, you're absolutely lost. I mean, you guys can imagine... You know, what would it be if I had 19 year olds, you've never talked to a girl and now you have to go find one to get married? It's difficult. So it can happen. I'm not saying it can't. 
but I've heard horror stories like that in my parish where I was uh, before. Uh, there was that rule too. You know, we couldn't talk to girls even outside of Sunday mass. And this was like <laughs> interesting. And just to give you statistics, I never saw one Catholic marriage, not one in that parish. I saw Catholic, traditional Catholic with Novo Sordo. That, but, but that's kind of a mixed marriage, you could say almost. Uh, but I never ever saw one Catholic marriage. I don't remember one, not in that parish. The bishop has a very wise way to proceed, as if you know it, I'm sure, that in Omaha what he does is the boys will go to school one place, the girls go to school to another, you know, separate in the, in the same facilities. But then at the end of the day, they get to meet for 15, 20, 30 minutes, I think it is, supervised by someone. There is an actual nun in there uh, watching them. And that's very good because that way you get to socialize and develop those skills. So that's what the Pope said, Pope Pius XII said, before you have groups, you meet many friends. This is where, have you guys heard of the quinceañera? The, you know, the 15-year-old party that the Mexicans I've do? Been, yeah. I've been to one. Okay. Were you, the, were you one of the dancers? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The quinceañera, what, it's a common custom in Mexico, and this is the reason why you do it. In the quinceañera, when the girls turn 15, it's kind of like, you know, they're of age, they say. And so the point is to introduce the girl to society. And so what you do is a party where the girl is there with other girls and the boys come over and they do like a waltz, you know, like a very, very common dance, very normal dance. And usually the mom maliciously will go and pick the guys that the girl likes to be the, the dancers, you know. But it's a nice, very cultured, very modest way to introduce people into, into society. And here's an important point for you guys. Many of you, as, as I said, you know, have younger children. Once your children turn of a dating age, it does bear on you to make gatherings for them. This is not something that the priest can do. I want to do it, but not always can I. And it's not something that you should expect your children to go out to somewhere else, party here or there. It, it, it bears on you to say, okay, I need to provide this social environment safe from my children and watch them. And that's where you do parties at your home, or you figure out a place to do parties, you get together with other families, things like that, where they can get to talk to each other, especially with Catholic children. Does that make sense? How do you, how do you feel about school dances, or organized dances for young people? You mentioned the quinceanera. Yeah, I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's okay. Um, it's just kind of like, you know, one has to be careful. Um, I would think it's okay if the dances are modest, if there's nothing inappropriate with it, you know, like whole dances and things like that. And maybe I wouldn't do it here in the church necessarily, but it's just basically, there are two cares that I would have to put in there. One would be the music, obviously, because now the music is just plain, I mean, debauchery, you know, it's just unimaginable. So it has to be basically like, your guys' music, you know, like 80s, <laughs> 70s, if anything. And the other thing is, with those kind of events, you have to be watching everyone. And that's, that's the difficult part. Because you, you cannot be, for example, you have a school dance. Let's say that you have it here in the basement. That means that you have to be watching everyone and you know exactly where everyone is at the same time. And you have an adult, basically niche gate, just sitting there, you know, having his cigar or drinking his beer by watching every single kid to, so, to see where they are. Because what happens usually is there is a crowd 
and a couple of kids walk out. And that's what I wouldn't want to happen. So that's what I, what I would do. When we had the events in Omaha, when I was there, I remember that we would be, you know, checking everyone out. And I would be, the last time we had a, a youth event, uh, I was counting everyone, like every five minutes, I was like, okay, everyone's here. Then five minutes again, everyone's here. If I'm missing someone, it's like I have to go find out where they are. So as long as you have that, I think it's okay. Um, let me make a quick parenthesis here since, well, we'll do cover, cover that later. Okay, the next, the, next part, the next part is the, what we have been talking about, the person. How should the person be that my daughter or my son is dating? We're gonna talk about ideals, I know. Well, we already discussed age. We discussed the economy. That's obviously part of it too. Um, the next thing that comes is the faith. That's the most important topic. Now regarding this, uh, I'm gonna be very, I'm gonna try to be very balanced because you know you you have some some people that go like no, no, and other people say absolutely yes, and I want to tell you exactly what the church says. So when it comes to mixed marriages, you know, marrying someone that is not of the faith, and does anyone here is in a, is anyone here in a mixed marriage? Well, I was. Okay. There is a lot of mixed marriages around there and many successful ones. So don't be offended by what I'm going to say. I just want to give you like, this is like, again, a common rule, right? Like for the good of everyone. Here's Canon 1060. The church everywhere, everywhere most severely forbids the contracting of marriage between two baptized persons of whom one is a Catholic, whereas the other one is a member of a heretical or schismatical sect. So mixed marriages are forbidden by the church. The next canons tell you there are dispensations. There are situations where the, where the church says, okay, we're going to dispense with that law as an exception, and we're going to allow this marriage between a person that is Catholic and one that is not. For that dispensation to take place, there has to be certain circumstances. But it's a good idea to see that, that the church, it's a good point to see that the church tells you no, normally no. Now, why is that? Most people, as, as you know, most people when they get married, they want to get married no matter what. And they'll be willing to say to convert. I had this experience, this is true, and I didn't say this in the ladies' talk, so this is all exclusive to you. I had an experience with a girlfriend that went to mass, she wore the skirt, she wore the veil, she met my family, everything. We talked about everything that we need to talk, she was full on board. And then by the, by the mercy of God, I found out the truth about her. And she was totally faking the whole thing. The whole thing. And this is not an, un, an uncommon occurrence. Sorry. The point that I want to make, just to keep it very brief, is when you mix someone that is not in the same faith, is not just coming to Mass on Sundays. That's a big problem enough. Because imagine, it's very easy when you're getting married because you say, well, I'm going to respect your faith and you're going to respect my faith. Okay, that works. But then... When your children grow older, they're 15, 16 year old, and they say, well, how come dad is not going to mass? Or how come mom is not going to mass? 
And well, you say that I have to wear a skirt, but that says I don't. Or, you know, you say that I have to, I can give away my cell phone, but that says I can have it. And so these differences go all across your life when you're in a mixed marriage, all across your life. And like the cases that we mentioned here, uh, there was a conversion, that's a good thing. But when there is no conversion and the people stay married and there is no conversion, one remains in the other faith, it's a constant struggle, constantly. And I've never seen that, uh, I have never seen that, you know, be easy. I've seen it succeed, but not be easy. So that gives you a, an idea of how the church feels about this. When it comes to dating, then, your children are not allowed to date someone that is in the opposite faith unless they have one of those reasons that I mentioned. That and even then, I would suggest, this is what I was telling the moms, have your child, whether it be a girl or a boy, put a barrier between me and you. This barrier is my faith. If you want to get to me, you have to cross this barrier. You know what I mean? So you, we, if you want to date seriously with me, if you want to get into a serious relationship, you have to learn my faith. You have to learn the catechism. You have to come to mass. If I gave you my story, even with that barrier, you run a lot of risk. So even without it, it's just, you can't even do it. It's just wrong. Now, let me, before, one more thing before I, I take some questions. <clears throat> Saying these things is difficult. You know, when you have, a, a, let's say, a son that fell in love with, uh, let's say, Kathy, beautiful Kathy, she's a uh, Pentecostal Kathy, but she's, she's gorgeous and she's fun and she's so moral and she's so Christian and everything. And you tell him, well, you know, you can't date Kathy because you gotta make sure that she's Catholic or whatever. It's hard, but that's where this comes in. You might say, well, what if my child comes and says to me, well, I'm going to leave home if you don't let me date Kathy. I don't make my decisions based on the outcome. I have to make, make them based on morality. And I have to do what's right. Now, I would get the advice of the priest because situations might have a lot of shades to it. But you see what I mean here. If someone, if, if I have a teenager son that, that threatens to go, leave the house because he wants to date Kathy. It's like if you had a teenager son that comes and says to you, I'm gonna leave the house if you don't shoot me in the head. You know, I'm gonna leave the house if you don't do something that is harmful for me. What would you say to that child? You would say, I'm not gonna shoot you in the head. So I guess you'll have to leave. But you're asking me to do something that is harmful for you or that you'll leave the house. I cannot do something that's harmful for you, especially if it's something that is spiritually harmful. Does that make sense? Was there any other question? Yep. So in that scenario where one is uh, not of the faith, but they have a sincere intention to become Catholic, who sets the bar? Obviously, it can't be the you know the, the other person because they're you know they they have blinders on. You know they're they're not thinking clearly. I would think it would have to be either the parents or the priest who would say, okay, well, this, this person is Catholic enough for you to start dating, mm -hmm. right? Or is it, a, is it a collaboration between the priest and the parents to, you know, 
give, give, them, give them permission at that point. I think it should always be a collaboration. And I do want to say something here that is very fitting. Uh, there's nothing wrong with asking advice of many priests. Because, you know, you might get a tougher, tougher advice from Father Cepeda. But you might get a more lenient advice from Father so-and-so. And, well, you determine. But I'm giving you the principles, right? Here are the principles. Uh, I'm going to be very specific because that's what I was complaining, that books are not specific enough. So I'll, I'll be more specific. I would say, first of all, if my child is young enough where they have time, I would say don't date non-Catholics. Try to date Catholics, travel to different parishes, meet other people, make friends. If you're reaching 25, 26, 27, and nothing's happening, and you've actually tried and you don't find anything, then I, as a priest, I would say, well, yeah, go ahead and, and let's try something else, you know, or let's try to find someone. You know, you know what I mean? So as a rule, first, always try to find Catholics because that's what the church wants us to do. And that just secures a lot more your salvation, as we were saying, and, and your faith. Once, let's say that they're in an age where, okay, things are more difficult now and, and I have to find someone else, I would say as a rule also that you always put the matters of the faith first. And, and as soon as you meet someone that you're interested in, you make it very clear. I'm Catholic, that's not going to change. And, and if you really want, are interested in me, we have to study this. You have to, to at least study it and be open. And there is... There are a few factors that are very, very significant. And, and, and here's how you see them. When the other person is pushing to learn, you know, you have your Catholic daughter and the guy is the one pushing her to go to catechism and telling her we should go to mass and telling her, you know, I want to know more about this and that. Good sign. Okay, that's a good sign. Then you say, okay, we can move on. When the other guy is being dragged and it's like, well, he goes because he has to. Not a good sign at all. Because you know how it is. When you're dating, you put all for it. But then once you're married, it's like, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I got what I wanted, so I don't need to do anything else. So I think that would be a good sign to see if the other person is pushing. Now, the church is going to ask you for three things, what they call the guarantees in a mixed marriage. One is that the other person is going to allow you to raise the children Catholic and only Catholic. You know, the guy has to agree that the children will only be raised Catholic, that he will never hinder you to practice your faith, and that there will be no ceremony in another rite. That's like the bare minimum. I would add one fourth that I always deal with when we're in mixed marriages situations. Birth control. That's a very important one to, to discuss. And, and I would give you this as a principle. If a person before dating me believed in birth control, very, very risky situation. I would say, don't get in there. Try to find someone that before you get married, before you even dated, they already were in the same position that you. Why? You might have seen this in your lives. You guys are experienced. People say, well, I'm all for what you say, you know, no birth control. Then after the fourth or fifth child, they start freaking out and they say, well, what's going on? Oh. This is wrong. We should not do it. You know, you made me sign. There's actually a book called You Made Me Sign. <laughs> so birth control is one of the biggest problems that there can be in a mixed marriage. And that, it's a very difficult situation because I'll tell you, we're being very clear here. Let's say that a girl is Catholic and the guy is Protestant. 
They get married in a mixed marriage. After the fifth child, he says, I'm not going to have any more children. So I'm going to use, you know, a birth control device. She would be forced to resist. That's how horrible the situation would be for that woman. She cannot accept it. So imagine as a, as a priest to have to tell this woman, you basically have to force yourself and, and say, no, this cannot happen. That would be a horrible situation in a marriage. So you see where I'm coming from when we talk about birth control? It's very tough stuff. That's why I'm giving it to you so that you know it for your children. Okay? Whew. Scary. Okay. Um, I hope we can do this uh, more quickly. The, there's another thing that we haven't discussed, and that would be character. I, again, I hope this is spelled right. This is not spelled right. You know how it's spelled. <laughs> I don't know right now. When your child is dating someone, teach them how to find the, per the character of the other person. Because usually, as you know as well, when you date someone, you put your best face. You know, girls are super sweet and kind and everything. But then once the dating season's over, then things get really rough. And so I remember this. This is another true story. I won't say to who it happened. There was this beautiful girl, very sweet, very kind, very modest. Goes to pick her up to the, to the house. She comes out and, oh, I'll be right there. Just one moment. Just one moment, honey. Okay. I told you I was going to leave no matter what. I don't care what you say. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. <laughs> it's like, uh, you'll be in the receiving end, <laughs> you know? So how do you know the character of someone when your children are dating? Teach them to see the family. Teach them to see, okay, how is she or how is he with his mom, with his dad, et cetera, et cetera, because that's going to tell you how the person's going to be later on. Um, at least so that you know what you're getting into, right? Because no one's going to be perfect, but at least you know who you're, what you're getting into. And get into a couple fights. You know, when you're dating, it's okay to, to have some arguments and see how the other person reacts. You know, that way you also, you know, what you're getting into. Okay, any questions so far? No? Disagreements? I've got a comment or see what your thoughts are on this, Father. Um, I've, I was around this a lot with either like aunts or uncles and being older kids as a, as a child or a, I guess you call them a child that's coming into the age of where possibly dating is a uh, possibility. And I guess poking fun at that individual about, oh, he's your girlfriend, or you know, that's your boyfriend, or whatever else uh, could be going on. And that's constant, I mean, communication to that child uh, when, they're, when they're coming of age. Um, also, even just like older brothers and sisters poking fun that way. Don't you feel that's more of a negative aspect for that child as they're coming about in the dating because that almost pushes them to be like, well, I have to fit this expectation? Or do you have any comments regarding that sort of, I guess, Teasing, I guess what you would, you would say. I go, if I was in the place of a parent, I would probably stop it, but without a big deal. Because if you stop it as a big deal, like, you know, don't joke like that, or, you know, that's wrong, and don't say that, then the opposite is like, okay, that, that, that's taboo, right? This, this is something that is forbidden somehow. So, you know, a lot of lights pop up in the brain. So I would simply say, that's, that's a silly joke. That's a stupid joke. Don't, don't joke about it. And so it is, I think it is, it's not very harmful, but it could lead to that. You yeah, know, yeah, I've, I've 
telecommend ourselves, that's not, that's not something we should be doing to other people, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not really a joke because you're really, you know, it's, it's the beginnings of matrimony. It's the beginning of the sacrament. Yeah, it's a serious issue. But also, you have to consider this, and this is very important. Children can be precocious. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, he's only 9, 10 years old. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of mistakes that people do in that regard. So thinking, oh, this child is very young, you know, no problems. Sleepovers. I, I, I would totally say no sleepovers whatsoever. I can tell you how many horror stories I've heard. So even if childs are very young, children, excuse me, are very young, and most of them are not precocious. There is one or two that are, and that's enough to light the fire. So definitely you want to be very careful with that. And the same applies with those kind of jokes, if that makes sense. Are you saying the sleepovers where there's boys and girls or sleepovers with girls and girls, boys and boys, no sleepovers whatsoever? This is going to be controversial because I'm sure people would opine differently. My parents never let us do sleepovers with anybody. Not even with cousins, nothing. It was very rare when it happened. It was more like, a, you know, we got a permission out. I, for myself, I would say no sleepovers unless I'm in the room with my children. And even then it's like, you know, I don't know. Because um, you never know what uncle so-and-so has or aunt so-and-so has or the children have. And a lot of times children will go into a sleepover and there's one parent that didn't remove the cell phone, and that's enough to destroy the innocence of everybody. To, to name one thing of many that can go wrong. For myself, if I was a parent, I would say no sleepovers. You guys stay as late as you want. I'll go over there and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be there and, and we'll leave at 1 a.m. if you want to. But I'll be there. Or you guys don't stay. That would be my rule. What about uh, rebellion? Because you have rules. It's tough, but that's, that's, well, yeah, no, that's tough love, yeah. yeah, but well, here's, here's another thing. If you explain things when they're older, you have to explain them, but I'll give you, this is a very important tip. Very, very important. And actually I'm going to go into that. Uh, well, let's go into that, but I'll give you the tip right now. If you set your rules before anything happens, it's very easy to apply them. So before, let's say my son starts dating, before they start dating, I go and talk to them. Hey, listen, for whenever you date, these are the rules. And they always apply, always apply to everyone. This is where this comes in. Okay, let's go into the next stop. All right, um, let's discuss the next part. Um, you guys, this is like the horror class probably. After that, you won't come back. <laughs> okay, we're almost done. The next part is probably the most controversial one, the circumstances. And... Um, I'll read you from the book. This is a 1940s, 1950s book. It says, um, and this is not the one I was looking for. This one. During the engagement, um, Fidelity requires that, requires that an engaged person be true to the other party. Um, they can give the signs of affection that are usual between engaged persons. The relationship between the engaged parties does not give them the right to do what is intrinsically evil or what is lawful only to married persons. That's kind of, as I was saying, it's very vague, right? There's a lot of stuff that you have to explain there. 
But it says, what are the things, for example, that would not be allowed? Visits which are not private, too frequent or too prolonged are allowed. Decent kisses usual between betrothed lovers or meeting and parting, on meeting and parting. So let me be more specific. What would be the number one rule, I would say? Feel free to disagree. I'm telling you what I'm coming up with or what I, what I known from experience too. I would say this, the first one is the couple should never be alone. And don't, don't quite freak out just yet, let me explain. They need, there needs to be some privacy where they need to talk and they need to, to get along and everything, but they never should be entirely alone. How did we do it, for example, in, in, in my case, in my family, I should say, not in my case, because I was the last one. My sisters, my, my siblings would always go with a chaperone. And yes, the boyfriends hated my guts and they, bribed, they gave me bribes so I could go buy a, an ice cream somewhere <laughs> while they were over here. Uh, but um, that was the thing. There was always a chaperone going on. Or they would date in the house, in the living room, while everyone is there. They would never be alone. Is this very hard? Yes. Is it the best thing? Yes. And here's where this comes in. Do you think that a man and a woman who love each other are in an occasion of sin? What do you say? They are. And that's every moral theology book will tell you that. This is, it's an occasion of sin. It's a near occasion of sin, but it's necessary. It is necessary because they need to date. They need to get married. However, you have the duty to make it remote. You have the duty to make it in every possible way safe for the couple. So as a parent, if I had a daughter dating or a son, I would try to figure out a way so that they're not alone. Okay, you go with your sibling. Yes, you can take a part, you know, go to the movies, for example. And then once you're in the movies, your sibling goes like to the other extreme of the, of the you know, place and you can stay over here, but in sight. Or, you know, you go everywhere else, whatever. I would say never travel alone. Because when you, tra when you travel together, there's no way that you would not be alone and in very difficult circumstances. And if you want to go to a coffee shop or, you know, a bar or whatever, same thing. You take your sibling and, and they goes with you. And usually it's better if it's a male sibling because it's, if it's a woman, to have a male sibling and vice versa. Because if you have two sisters going along, one sister usually is going to be an accomplice. And if you have two brothers going along, the same. It's true. It's true. So I'm giving you like the malicious part of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, my biggest question is like, um, is, does that apply even to the people who are struggling at a, at a later age in life? They're more mature? Well, here's the thing. Yes, but it depends on the situation. You know, because as a parent, there is only so much you can do. So here, you know, I understand if as a parent, you're trying to enforce the law, but sometimes, you know, you can't. Give you the example of my case. When I was dating, I was the last one, so what could my parents do? You know, I was just like roaming around Guadalajara. <laughs> but uh, as much as you can. But I'll tell you something. This is an interesting story. My dad would sometimes drive and see if they were there. You know, and I remember this from my dad. I would be like, where's my dad? Oh, he went to see, you know, this or that sibling of mine. <laughs> and he would be, they went to a party and my dad would be parked like half a block from the party. <laughs> you know? 
I'll tell you another fun, funny story. This was a girl I was dating when I was, I wasn't dating really. We were just writing letters. Maybe we were like 15, 16 years old. Very, very innocent relationship, more of a friendship. She lived in a farm. This was like, you know, the Mexican charros. Okay. These guys are real. They actually exist. Like the guys with the big hats. So my, this, my family was Mexican charro, like that, that part of my family. So one time I went to a wedding and this girl was sitting in the table and she says, do you want to dance? And I'm like, sure. Is your dad okay with it? And she goes like, yeah. So we get up, we start dancing like a very, again, a very modest dance. One of those like balls dance. And, um, I look to her dad and her dad is just with the gun. <laughs> going like this. <laughs> and I just say to her, um, Hey, are you sure your dad is okay with this? And she says, yeah. And then I turn her over so that she can see her dad. And she goes like, we should see it right now. We should see it right now. <laughs> <clears throat> so while we're in this circumstance, just one quick thing. There is a big difference between your daughter and your son, right? Uh, your son, it's a lot more harder to maneuver, you could say, or to, to put a stop to him because he's a guy and he's going to have a lot of ways to get out. But uh, most importantly, I think that to your son, what you have to teach him is to be honorable, to be respectful, to be chivalrous, to, to for example, okay, you want to date this girl? You get, we got to go talk to the parents or you got to go and talk to the parents, ask them for permission, Tell them that you never want to be alone with her, so forth and so forth and so forth. Teach him how to do the right thing. And then talk to the parents. That's what I would do. I would say, talk to the parents and say, hey, my dad wants to, my son wants to date your daughter. This is what I would do. I don't want them to be alone. I trust my son. I love my son. But I think these are the proper rules. If I have a daughter, the story kind of gets reversed. Now, her protection is under my care. Like I'm her watch, you know, her guardian. So I have to guard her honor. I have to guard her dignity. You date my daughter. You have to come and ask for my permission. And these are the rules. And if you break them, there's consequences. I remember my dad one time, one of my sisters came late home. This was like, I don't know, not too late, but she came later than she was allowed. Have I told you this story before? I was like in the second floor and I just hear my dad. Tum, 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 tum. My dad is a heavy guy. And he just walks out and get inside right now and, and it's like he grabbed the guy bring him to the living room sit him down and i could just hear this screaming and yelling from up there it's like what do you think you're know, this and that and it's my daughter you'll never do this again you, you know like threatening him big word here and big word there and the guy was just like yes sir yes sir uh, totally sir i understand sir never happened again he was a very good guy. He was a very decent guy, but my dad was just like the rules. So here we go into this topic over here. Because what if your daughter or your son, just one second, says, dad, don't you trust me? That's the thing, right? Don't you trust me, dad? What kind of woman do you think I am? And this is where this comes in. My, my dear, I trust you. I know that you're a very good woman, but this is the law. And I have to apply it to everyone. You might not need it because you are a great holy person. And I see the halo on top of your head. You've never committed a sin in your life. You might not need it. Maybe your daughter, excuse me, your sister will need it. If I want to apply this law for the person that needs it, I have to apply it to everyone else. 
Because otherwise, your sister is going to come and say, how come Maria got to date alone and you don't let me date alone? You see what I mean? So you have to apply the law to everyone, even if they don't need it. The law is there to protect you. Not, not to say that you are bad. It's there to protect you. Does that make sense? And here is where we go again to that. If you tell your children before they date, these are the laws, then they won't be able to tell you, oh, you're doing this because you don't like Juanito. You know, you don't like Pedrito because he's part of the gang, of the Mexican gang, and that's why you don't like him. No, no, no. This is the law. You've always known it. Okay? Yeah. The, oh, you see the name of that law. The church community is the observing party, not the... No, this would be just... Just, just the parents, just the parents. Okay, the next thing, for the same reason, when you have children dating, you wanna make sure that your house is never alone. This might seem out of place here, but it's true, sometimes people can say, well, you know, Maria is dating, she's 19 years old, we're all gonna go to the beach on a trip or whatever, Maria's gonna watch the home. No. No, no, no. It's either she goes with you guys or she's somewhere else, but you don't leave this occasion for them. Uh, another point that is important is cell phones and texting. I think most of you guys by now are familiar with this. I'm sorry if we're going long, but this is, I think this is an important conversation to have. Cell phones and texting, you know, for all, all of us that were born with the ding, ding, I still have some of those. Cell phones are a different story, but you know, if you have a daughter or a son that is dating, cell phones are just as bad as having privacy, basically, because they can send pictures to each other, they can send videos to each other, and this happens. And uh, a rule that I would put as a parent, if I was in, in, in that situation, I would say, you don't get to have a cell phone on your own until you really need it or you can afford it. Because once you can afford it, then there's nothing I can do. You know what I mean? Once my child can afford his phone and his payment, even if I take it away, he'll buy another one. But by then, hopefully, I've, I've impressed in their minds the need to have self-control in the phones. But if someone is dating, for example, in my house, and she's still in my house, and I'm still or, uh, supporting her or him, I would say, use your phone, make the phone calls that you need, texting, whatever. Once it's time to go to bed, the phone is put over here in the table. And that's not just for you, teenager, son or daughter. That's for everyone. I think everyone should have control and at a certain time of the day, break up the phone and put it here on the table. So we're all gonna do that. The opposite is very dangerous. Did you hear about the guy that committed suicide because of extortion? I'll tell you the story very quickly. This is a 17-year-old boy, he's in Instagram, and someone started texting him in Instagram. And this was a fake person, it wasn't real. But this person started saying, okay, send me a picture, I'll send you a picture. Send me a picture, I'll send you a picture. Well, eventually, the person says, okay, I have all these pictures of you, in a very compromising manner. If you don't give me $1,000, I'll send them to your family. 17-year-old boy, doesn't know what to do, he doesn't have $1,000. He says, well, I'm just gonna kill myself. Well, you better do it fast. And he killed himself. And that's how the family found him. And now they're, they're prosecuting, trying to find this guy. I personally know people that have lost thousands of dollars like that, just, you know, dumb people that are not thinking of what they do 
and they are supposedly talking to someone. So this is very, very dangerous right now. I don't need to go into detail a lot, but you know what I mean. Um, okay, let's try to make it quickly, quicker. <clears throat> There's one more thing that I will mention here, and it's uh, talk to your children when they're dating about what's allowed, physically allowed. Okay, you're gonna date Juanita. She's beautiful, she's Catholic, she's great. I know her family, you know my family, everything's fine. What are you guys to do physically? What can you do? This is the part where there's more ignorance. I can tell you, I didn't know this until I was a seminarian. Before being a seminarian, I didn't know. When you're dating, all that is allowed is a kiss hello and goodbye, and that's about it. Which is, if you talk to most teenagers, they'll, they'll all go like, what? <laughs> you know, they don't know it. It's true, that's all that's allowed. And the kiss, like you would uh, make in front of your parents and friends, you know, that kind of stuff. Anything that goes beyond that, it's forbidden. And it's just as simple as if, you know, as if it was doing, you know, a married person doing it with someone else. Why is that? Because we know that instinct is very powerful, very violent. And so once it starts going, there's no stopping it. And that's why the church tells you when you're dating, it says, stop over here. This is safe, you'll be able to stop over here. If you cross this line, it's gonna be very hard for you to stop, and then there's many dangers and problems that happen. So the church says, well, leave it up to here, that's safe. After you get married, then the rest comes in. Does that make sense? We're almost done, but so far, any common objections or comments? Okay, any other questions? No? Okay, let's just finish, and, and real quickly, what are the objections that you know could be presented to me? Um, someone might say to me, Father, you are crazy. You know, times have changed now. You know, if I want to date with someone like that, they would never want to be with me. Well, times have changed, but you guys will know human nature hasn't. The same problems that there were today, there were before, and there have been for a thousand years, where the same human beings actually is worse now, because we're much more incited through everywhere to sin. So actually, we should be even more careful. The other question would be, Father, but I said, I trust my child. I trust my son. I trust my daughter. And here we go to this and these two. You have to apply the law to everyone, but also, even if you trust them, it's still an occasion of sin. It's still necessary, and you still have to do the danger remote. That's an obligation that we have. The next one would be, um, Father, my children are going to be pushed away. They're going to leave my house because of all these rules. And the same applies here. I cannot do something wrong for my child if it's immoral, if it's wrong, right? If my child says, I'm going to do drugs or I'm going to leave the house, leave the house. I cannot let you do drugs. It's the same, the same kind of scenario. Um, there's two more, two more objections that could come. One is, Father, if we do this, no one's going to convert. If we don't do mixed marriages, no one's going to convert. We're going to have, you know, all, all these people that are not going to be able to convert. And the answer to that would be, you can have friends that are of the opposite faith, right? I mean, if you have Lutherans, Calvinists, whatever you want, you can have friends, talk to them about your faith. But the important thing is don't get attached emotionally unless they convert. And that is a very thin line to walk because especially, you know, when what is two people of the opposite sex, 
very easily they will get attached. And finally, the other objection would be this. I was a traditional Catholic all my life. I've never seen this done. I've talked to Father so-and-so. He says that this is okay. I would say this, ask Father so-and-so or the other family about these principles and how do they apply? If I leave my children go out alone on a date, how is that not an occasion of sin that I'm not addressing? If I can, if I can, obviously. If, uh, if, I, the, if father so-and-so says, well, no, you should tell your child this because otherwise they'll leave the home. Father, does that mean that I can do something immoral because I'm afraid of the outcome? You guys have common sense. You know that that's not the case. That's why I'm giving you principles. These are the principles that we need to remember. Um, okay, and to finish, what are the advantages of this? Well, let's say that uh, I have my daughter, Lupita. Lupita is becoming famous now. And Lupita um, fell in love with this guy. And she says, Dad, if I tell this guy that we're going to have a chaperone, he's going to break up with me. And if I tell him that all we can do is just like kiss hello and goodbye, he's going to break up with me. Good riddance. Good riddance. That means that this is not the guy you wanted. Because imagine how good of a husband or a wife you're going to get when this is the first thing that you say and they say to you, I'm okay with that. I agree with that. That means that, wow, awesome. So you're going to rule out bad pretenders. You're obviously going to avoid hell and sin, mortal sin, which is most important. And you're also going to avoid a very bad life. Because here's the thing that I would tell you guys, and this is how you can explain it to your children, when this rule is very difficult for them to understand. The church is not restricting you to be miserable. The church is putting guardrails on your road. So that when you're going this way, you bunk, bump into the guardrail and you're safe. You're going this way, you bump into the guardrail and you're safe. The church is guarding you. If you follow those guards, you have a 90% chance of getting in a good marriage. Think of all these rules that I just gave you. If in an ideal world, people are actually able to date like that and both agree on these things, no life is perfect. You're still going to have problems. I, that's true. But you have a much better chance. The moment that you break one of these rules, you're going to struggle. You're going to have the consequences. Any questions or comments about that? Are you guys all terrified now? <laughs> okay, so that was a class if you, or the talk. If you have any questions or comments, let me know. And... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a deep topic, but I think it's useful. And this will be here. If, if anybody needs them, just let me know, and, and they're available. Let's end up with a prayer. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. We'll pray three our fathers for all the men of our group so that we remain out of sin and to keep us away from temptation. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. If you kneel down, I'll give you a blessing, and then we can go. Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, descendat super vos, et maniat semper. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Catholic Wire. If you have found this show helpful, please say a prayer for all our collaborators. Don't forget to subscribe to our channels and share with your friends. For questions and comments, you may contact us at thecatholicwire.org.